Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We have two good martinis for you today, as well as a pretty bad one to wrap up the work week. And Jim, you know, this, what do they say? Uh, No good, very bad week for Joe Biden. Uh, That's putting it mildly. We've talked about a number of his problems, most of which have redounded to good martinis as a result of the fact that he has not gotten what he wanted. His polls are in the dumper. Mm. He has not convinced the American people on a whole host of things, uh, namely Joe Manchin on Build Back Better. And then yesterday, just as he went up to Capitol Hill to try to convince Senate Democrats to all come together to at least create a carve out to the filibuster so he can pass his beloved nationalizing and federalizing of uh, elections, Kirsten Cinema heads to the floor in a purple dress, mind you. I don't think that fashion statement was exactly an accident, uh, where she once again says unequivocally that while she even supports the legislation that Biden is desperately trying to get done, she is not going to kill or amend the filibuster to get it done because it only makes the division in this country worse. Here's part of what she said. And while I continue to support these bills, I will not support separate actions that worsen the underlying disease of division infecting our country. The debate over the Senate 60 vote threshold shines a light on our broader challenges. There's no need for me to restate my longstanding support for the 60-vote threshold to pass legislation. There's no need for me to restate its role protecting our country from wild reversals in federal policy. It is a view I've held during my years serving in both the U.S. House and the Senate, and it is the view I continue to hold. It is the belief that I have shared many times in public settings and in private settings. And then, Jim, shortly after that, Joe Manchin issued a pretty long written statement saying essentially the same thing. He has no intention uh, of eliminating or changing the filibuster. And you could tell from Biden's public comments up on the Hill yesterday that he feels defeated on this because he is, at least for the moment, defeated on this. He's going to need election results that a lot of people don't see coming in November to try and resurrect uh, a lot of this stuff, not just this legislation, but other other things. Uh, So uh, what do you make of uh, a big, big win for conservatives in terms of stopping some of the worst things that the Democrats have planned. Well, the first thing that kind of comes to mind, Greg, is why did Biden go to the Hill? I think it was somebody noted this is the third time in like six months he's gone to Capitol Hill. And usually the president going to Capitol Hill has kind of got some you know, some weight to it. Doesn't happen all that often. And we know when the president plays this card, he goes to Capitol Hill and he asks members of his own party for their support in person. Generally, you know, they, they you know, it's very tough for members of a party to reject the president. They'll say, oh, OK, you know, it's a way of communicating. This is important. This is a priority. I really need you on this one, please. You know, and and usually I remember Bill Clinton doing this for, you know, for uh, his Hillary Fair back then. I mean, you know, usually it works. It has not worked for. Uh, Biden and any of the three times that he's done it. And I'm kind of curious, like, what what did he see that made him think that uh, either Manchin or Cinema was going to fold? Um, what, you know, made you think, oh, you know, uh, the, the ba- chasing her to the bathroom didn't do it. And also, the, the other thing which kind of jumped out is there was a headline, I think it was either Politico or Axios, one of those that said, Cinema taking this stance shocked and blindsided the White House. 
Really? <laughs> just like mansion. Re- like they really seem to think that. Well, oh, okay, you know that. Oh, you know, because they've been very clear. People made an interesting point that you know, mansion talks to cinema. Mansion talks to press all the time. We've been joking about congressional correspondents like Manu Raju who are asking him, "Do you still support the filibuster? Do you still support the filibuster?" You know, he's he's saying it all the time. Cinema speaks less often, but when she does, it's usually an event and it's pretty forceful. And it leaves you no doubt about where she stands on this. And she had criticism for the Republican Party as well. But she made the interesting observation that every time there's been some sort of step that's designed to get past the gridlock, get past the partisan divisions, it actually ends up exacerbating the gridlock and and, uh, partisan divisions. So again, it was always something of a long shot. Cinema says no before his remarks, and you can kind of see that kind of takes the air out of the balloon of him going over and doing this. And then the second thing, then Manchin comes out and does it afterwards. Well, now, look, guess what? Your problem is not that you can't reach uh, 60 votes for the legislation. Your problem is that you can't reach 50 votes for the legislation. That's your real problem there. And that's why... Uh, you know, not only build back better, but also they can't get the voting, uh, you know, the federal government taking over the elections bill passed either. It has just been this like banging their head against the wall. So it's kind of funny. I, I just went on this long tirade in today's morning jolt, laying out all the different ways he has fallen short and all the different ways he's, you know, he's going to work, reach across the aisle and be bipartisan and be a unifier and all that. And none of that has come to pass. And he hasn't, you know, shut down the virus, all this kind of other stuff. He's also like really not good at handling legislative uh, uh, affairs and, and, you know, negotiating and reaching a deal with lawmakers. And the irony is like he was up on the Senate forever, right? Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema are not the most obstinate people in the whole wide world. They always seem very reasonable. And it's very, very bizarre. Oh, by the way, I couldn't help but wonder, as Manchin came out and said, yeah, I'm not changing my mind on the filibuster, was all of that attacking of Joe Manchin uh, by the on the part of the White House back on December nineteenth, did that pay off, or did it? You know, or did that further poison the well and make it less likely that Joe Manchin was ever going to come around on this? You know, it's as if Biden and his team never think more. You know, beyond one day's news cycle, and they end up with some disaster and, and you know one more problem, and nothing, things never work out for them. So, um, you know, it's it's been a really bad week for the president. And if you're you know sitting where we are, you know. Tough luck, uh, Joe Biden. You made some really bad decisions. It's working out better for Americans and for the conservative cause. Yeah, they've also said at the White House that they're talking to Manchin again about Build Back Better. And he said just yesterday or maybe the day before that that's not happened. So I think they're living in their own dream world. Love the liberal response here. Uh, Lawrence O'Donnell over at MSNBC on Twitter. Cinema delivers the Senate's stupidest speech by a Democrat in an edge of tears voice to give childish words a melodramatic effect. Jim, do you think if a conservative said that about a, a diehard liberal on the Senate floor, we'd be getting some misogynistic reaction to that? Yeah. I mean, what's more, Greg, like there are times we have heard people say that's misogyny or that's sexism. You and I both have Y chromosomes. There are times. So uh, on my behalf, I will say sometimes you roll your eyes and you say, no, you did a lousy job and you're using sexism as an excuse. Um, if you were a man, you'd be getting the same amount of criticism and all that kind of stuff. But in this case, man, there's some really nasty personal stuff. And there was, was there some house member or somebody who said she hasn't shown us much beyond what's in her wardrobe or something like that? She really, like, there is this nastiness that comes out when criticizing uh, women that, that, you know, in this, and we, we know it's very clearly 
it's not just, I mean, we've all seen progressive men just say un, unhinged, hideous things that they'll say about conservative women. Now it's saying you can be a, <clears throat> a democratic woman and stand in the way of progressive men getting what they want and they will attack you every bit as nastily as they do. And oh, by the way, a whole, the whole time they will insist that they're feminists who really respect women <laughs> and would never engage in sexism or misogyny or anything like that. No, that's absolutely right. And I think it's great that both Cinema and Mansion are together. Obviously, we want as much support as we can get for, for blocking the Democrats from doing this. But I think it's easier for two of them uh, to say no than for one of them to say no. But I think there's even more courage potentially on the part of Cinema. Joe Mansion can, can tell West Virginia Democrats, look, I'm the only guy who can win statewide. So if you don't like what I'm doing, uh, tough luck. Kirsten Cinema could end up getting a primary in 2024 that could be fairly tough, depending on where Arizona Democrats are at that point. So uh, this is not an easy decision, but it's a very, uh, very down the middle purple state at this point. Unfortunately, it used to be a red state for the most part. Um, and so I think she knows her electorate a lot better than the National Press Corps does. But we'll see. Greg, I agree. I would just kind of note, though, that the key word in that sentence is in 2024. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of road between now and then. What is what is going to be on people's minds in fall of 2024? Okay, correction, spring of 2024 when they have a Democratic primary, it could be really different issues than what we're facing here in today. Like I certainly hope, for example, like the COVID-19 uh, pandemic is over by then. Um, supply trade, you know, supply chain issues, inflation. Hopefully, by then those th problems have gotten a lot better. If they're not, <laughs> there may not be many Democrats left. So. Um, this whole idea of, oh, we're going to challenge you, you know, uh, uh, you know, three, I guess now it's, you know, two, two you know, uh, 18 months from now or so, but, you know, you see people get, you know, we're going to throw a primary challenge when they're in their first or second year of a, of a six year term. <laughs> Senators don't worry about that. So, you know, it, you know, all of that, uh, all of those threats tend to, uh, tend to be over un underwhelming, shall we say. Yeah, hopefully by then she can uh, talk about the dastardly Republican majorities in the House and Senate. <laughs> That'll distract everybody from it. But I mean, we'd obviously still prefer Republican in that seat, but uh, obviously we'd prefer her to uh, what the, the left wing would throw up at her in a primary, most likely. But uh, nonetheless, you can probably rest easy that for the rest of this year, there's not going to be any significant changes to the filibuster. And if you need to take a rest after all this back and forth, uh, and that includes Capitol Hill reporters who keep asking the questions and getting the same answers, MyPillow is the way to go. Get a MyPillow. They're so great to sleep on. The Giza Dream Sheets are fantastic. The towels are wonderful. And so are the My Slippers. And as I said before, I think the My Slippers, and I love everything that I've gotten from MyPillow, uh, I think I like the slippers the best. But right now you can get 40% off the new My Slippers when you use our promo code martini at MyPillow.com. You know, the My Slippers took two years to develop to ensure the highest quality and comfort. They're designed for all day. You can wear them indoors, outdoors, wherever you like. These slippers are available in moccasin or slip-on style, and they're available in a variety of colors and sizes. Now, these slippers are made with quality leather suede and the exclusive three-tier cushioning system, which consists of MyPillow patented fill, the impact gel, and the memory foam. So for a limited time, MyPillow offering 40% off the new My Slippers. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square. Do not forget that part. And then enter the promo code MARTINI or call 800-874-0104. Now, while you're there, take advantage of the deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including, like I said, the Giza Dream bed sheets, the MyPillow mattress topper, and the MyPillow towel sets. You can only save 40%, though, on the new My Slippers with our promo code MARTINI. So use that code MARTINI when you call 800-874-0104 or go to MyPillow.com.
All right, Jim, it was quite an afternoon for Joe Biden and quite an afternoon for conservatives, too. We got uh, we wanted on the filibuster front. And then the Supreme Court came through with its uh, two decisions as it related to Biden's vaccine mandates. And it was a split decision. Uh, we knew from the oral arguments and just kind of the legal framework that we had a very likely chance for a split decision because of the fact that medical facilities get lots of money from the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. There are things attached to that money, and therefore the court ruled five to four. A lot of conservatives uh, with strong arguments as to uh, why they didn't think that was the right decision. But nonetheless, five to four, that healthcare workers do have to abide by the vaccine mandate. However, by a six to three verdict, uh, the large business mandate of 100 employees or more, everybody's got to get the vaccine or get tested frequently, that was rejected by the court. The majority opinion essentially saying, look, uh, there is precedent on the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services front. There is no legislative precedent for giving OSHA the power to do this for businesses as a whole. So therefore, uh, again, the split decision. You had uh, uh, the traditional liberals against the one on the large employer mandate and then on the one with uh, healthcare workers, uh, Roberts and Kavanaugh flipped to uh, side with the liberals on that one. So not everything we wanted, Jim, but pretty much what we expected. And for a lot of employers and employees, getting the government out of their face is a good thing. Yeah, this is actually a decision I feel was uh, rightly decided, even though I don't particularly like the idea of vaccine mandates um, for institutions that take a lot of federal funding. But there's a longstanding tradition, you know, sense that if the government is providing you money, they can money, federal government money comes with strings attached. And also the argument that if at an institution like a uh, uh, you know hospital or medical care facility, there's a stronger argument for vaccine mandates for those who are going to be around lots of people who are vulnerable to the virus than there is for average, you know, place at a shoe store or something like that. Um, it's It was not surprising. I was really kind of intrigued that, you know, you saw the Supreme Court, in, you know, with six to three on the, on the, uh, on the OSHA mandate, Come out and say, yeah, you don't, you don't have this power. You don't have this power. No, oh, by the way, I, I was very glad that they, had, you know, mentioned and cited Ron Klain yes. retweeting the tweet from the, I think it was an MSNBC correspondent who said, this is the ultimate workaround for enacting a federal vaccine mandate without having the authority. <laughs> and Ron Klein's like, yeah, it sure is. <laughs> I know, I know. Retweets are not endorsements. But, they, they, you know, numerous folks early on said, oh, so the White House chief of staff is saying, we don't have the authority under, under the Constitution to do this, but we're using this obscure regulation from OSHA and workplace safety to make Americans get vaccinated, even though we don't want to. Unsurprisingly, a whole bunch of Supreme Court justices said, yeah, I got a problem with that. No, no, no. You can't, you know, look for these obscure loopholes and provisions of the law and stretch them beyond any reasonable uh, previous use of them in order because you, just because you really want to do something like this. If you want to enact a, a vaccine mandate, pass a legislation. There's an argument whether that's constitutional by itself, but Leo, you can't just, in, you know, the executive branch can't just say, hey, you know what, we really want to do this. So, um, yeah, we're going to do it. And, you know, tough luck to the legislative and judicial branch. We're in charge. It's a pandemic. None of this stuff matters anymore. Completely got swatted down. Now, in the statement from Biden and I think, you know, Saki issued a statement and a couple other ones, they all were in this. We are so disappointed that the court does not believe in public health. No, that's not what it was at all. The the state, the, the issue before the court is, as all issues are, does the government have the authority to do this or does it violate the Constitution? That's it. It's not about whether it's a good idea. It's not about whether it's masks are a good idea. It's not about uh, whether vaccines are a good idea. You know, it is entirely on the, the issue before the court is always, does the government have the authority under the Constitution to do this? And they said no. 
And I said, no, pretty clearly. And you should, you know, that should bring some fe chastened feelings in the White House. But I guess, Greg, they're just simply incapable of that. Yeah, good point on Ron Klain. When you make the footnotes in a decision that doesn't go your way because of what you tweeted, I mean, that just adds another layer of deliciousness to it. So Ron Klain, keep tweeting, man. Keep <laughs> tweeting. The prime minister did not help himself in that situation. Uh, but again, another MSNBC host uh, losing his mind over this martini today, Jim. Chris Hayes stating the obvious. This court is going to do horrifying damage. And it's the reason that the devils bargain with Trump. Even if the crowd had gotten... Their way with Pence or others will always have been worth it for the Republican Party and the conservative movement. Boy, one decision doesn't go your way. And these Wait, guys so if we think this was the right choice, we were pro-lynching Mike Pence? Is that, is that, I understand that logic there? <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes they tweet before they think. Just like Ron Klain. Sometimes, uh, often. Often. <laughs> How many times do you look at a tweet and say, well, that's a really well thought out argument right there. And, you know, 240 characters or less or whatever it is. Yeah, not too often. All right, let's move on to our final martini, Jim. Uh, ending on a bad note, unfortunately. I would love a fun, crazy one today. But uh, the storm clouds seem to keep gathering as it relates to Russia and Ukraine. Uh, Axios uh, reporting today uh, that the U.S. claims to have information indicating that Russia has, quote, already pre-positioned a group of operatives to conduct a false flag operation in eastern Ukraine, laying the groundwork for a potential pretext to invade, according to a U.S. official. Uh, they're saying that the U.S. is concerned that the Russian government is preparing for an invasion into Ukraine that may result in widespread human rights violations and war crimes uh, should diplomacy fail to meet their objectives. As part of its plans, Russia is laying the groundwork to have the option of fabricating a pretext for invasion, including through sabotage activities and information operations by accusing Ukraine of preparing an imminent attack against Russian forces in eastern Ukraine. Now, whether or not this is right, we could find out pretty soon, Jim. The Russian military plans, allegedly, to begin these activities several weeks before a military invasion, which could begin between mid-January and mid-February. They say they saw the same playbook in 2014 with Crimea. So, yeah, it could be playing out during the Olympics. So that would be a fun international juxtaposition. But, uh, Jim, I believe we saw a story this week that... Um, the president of Ukraine actually offered to a ceasefire or or to start peace talks about the ongoing hostilities in eastern Ukraine, which would certainly fly in the face of what uh, Russia might have in the works here about uh, arguing that Ukraine is uh, launching an offensive back against uh, the Russians. What's your feel on this? Is this sounding legit or is it uh, way too early to say that? Uh, my first observation there, Greg, is it just me or do you feel like you heard a lot more about Vladimir Putin during the Trump years when he was not on the verge of invading Ukraine than you are hearing about Vladimir Putin now, even though he is on the verge of invading Ukraine? Um, I kind of feel like the lack of public interest in Vladimir Putin has dropped off in a stunning way. So the first thing is that the amount of mil Russian military forces that have been put on, if, if they say it's, you know, if you picture it against the Ukrainian border, because it kind of sticks out, picture Ukraine being kind of this like big ovaly shape. Uh, they're now on all three sides. There's a river basically that splits Ukraine into west yeah. and east. And on the east side of that river, it's always been a little bit more pro-Russian. It's always been a little more you know, closer historical and ethnic ties to Russia. And a lot of people think, you know, it's not that you're going to see Russian tanks, you know, going all the way across the entire country and taking over. They basically want the part that they see as being their historical ancestral homeland uh, and they leave Western Ukraine, but they're basically going to say, oh, we're going to take over half the country. 
Um, the sheer amount of forces accumulated on all three sides, boy, oh boy, that's that's a lot for a feint. That's a lot for something that's just saber rattling you don't intend to use. Second thing that's really unnerving is um, the uh, a giant cyber attack in Ukraine. Now, Russians, all, Russians yeah. are doing all kinds of cyber operations all the time, but this one was basically telling people, literally saying, be afraid, right? So this is exactly the sort of thing you'd expect them to do. Third thing in relation to this report about um, the U.S. seeing some sort of provocation on the rise, Russian state, you know, generally either state-controlled or state-influenced, or let's just say uh, state-friendly media have been emphasizing this idea that Ukraine is about to attack. If you listen to Russian media, you would believe that Ru Ukraine was about to attack Russia instead of the other way around. So the idea of some sort of quote-unquote false flag operation or some sort of provocateurs who are meant to make create the justification for Russia blow something up, make some sort of threat, do something for the Russia can say, aha, the Ukrainians are attacking us. Everybody go in. And that would launch it. Um, it certainly seems like it's in the potential in the cards here. I don't know if it's going to happen. I suppose it's possible um, uh, that you're going to see a world in which, uh, uh, you know, Putin says he's just believes he's humiliated NATO enough. Uh, he's gotten enough concessions that he goes home. It could happen. Sure. Uh, that having been said, I don't think you make this kind of mobilization unless you in, either intend to use it or you are very capable and willing of use, to use it. And I had this wondering feeling if um, certainly it's very hard to believe that anything we've seen from the Biden administration or our European allies really are deterring Russia that much and make him feel like uh, it's that, you know, that it isn't worth it. Uh, I also think Putin is thinking about his legacy and I think reclaiming large chunks of Ukrainian territory uh, are sort of the last thing on his to-do list before he departs this earth and heads on down to Hades. <laughs> well, the you know the history of the 20th century and the early part of the 21st century, of course, tells us that if someone wants a little bit of land in Eastern Europe, they'll stop. They won't go for any more. <laughs> yeah, they're always very easygoing about that sort of thing. You know. Oh, by the way, like I'm hearing people referring this is the first time we're going to have you know major war in Europe. Um, in 30 years, and they're, the timeline is reasonably accurate. But the last, you know, the reason you're stopping there and not saying like 1945 is because of the Balkans and the absolute genocide that went. The European, you know, the U.S. and uh, European Allied powers really didn't cover themselves in glory during that time either. Showing up a day late and a dollar short, and long after a you know rather horrific, bloody genocide had gone on. So, you know. <laughs> There's an interesting argument from Damon Linker in, I think it was The Week, uh, coming up this morning. I, I don't agree with every piece of it, but he basically said that we were bluffing that we were willing to do much to defend Ukraine and that Putin is calling our bluff. You know, he and basically, you know, Damon Linker's assessment is thus we should never pledge to protect anywhere ever again. I exaggerate slightly, but he basically believes we've been overextended. Boy, when you don't keep when you don't keep a promise and you let somebody else take up land that used to be theirs, <clears throat> like Crimea. Like the last time Joe Biden was in office, um, you only get more of it. And I think it kind of harkens a potentially much more dangerous world in the years to come. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm reminded the last time we uh, did this subject, our illustrious friend and former Democratic presidential candidate Irving Schmidlap pointed out that uh, Kiev is actually on that river. I think it's the Dnieper. And so it's giving everything east of the river away is not going to satisfy yeah. uh, Russia when they're looking at their adversary right across the river there. I don't think they'd stop there. That's like saying that you're not going to have New York City. You're just going to have Brooklyn. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right. Well, Jim, on that note, let's hope that things 
cool off there, but uh, the forecast isn't good. Speaking of forecast, we're supposed to get a little bit of snow here in the Washington, D.C. area. So uh, if we're not buried alive from that one to three inches or whatever it is this weekend, I'll see you on Monday. You know, Monday is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. So schools have an excuse for being closed anyway. Go ahead. Go <laughs> ahead and close the schools. I don't care. Sounds good. Jim, have a good weekend. See you Monday, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks very much for being with us today. Uh, do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Please tell your friends about us as well. Thank you so much for your kind reviews and your five-star ratings. Please keep those coming. They help us out a lot. Uh, get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great weekend and join us again on Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch. We are living in difficult times where people fear having thought-provoking conversations about pressing issues. And although we're in the midst of an information explosion, there are a lot of forces aiming to distort what's true. I created The Bill Walton Show to provide a forum for in-depth, thought-provoking conversations with leaders, artists, entrepreneurs, and thinkers. Please join me at thebillwaltonshow.com to explore what's true, what's right, and what's next.